out of love and respect for God's Word, remain standing. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. And if you're going to use a copy of the Scriptures under the seat in front of you, you'll find that on page 687. For the benefit of those who were not here last week, let me simply say we started a new series last Sunday looking at a few of Matthew's gospel uh, parables. We had done a series just before from Luke's salvation parables of the gospel that is planted within us and how we are called everyone to be certain that we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, that actually what it is that we say that we believe, that we really do believe. So from that series of looking inwardly, that that gospel is really planted in our hearts and our minds, then last week we started a series now on what does that look like for our life, that this gospel ought to be seen in our Christian living or our kingdom living. So we'll be looking in the next few Sundays at various Matthew, uh, our parables from Matthew's gospel on our Christian living. For the benefit of those who we're here, were here last week, let me just simply say I did take my blood pressure pill this morning. And I'll be a little bit calmer today than I was last week. Uh, yet we still give our full attention to God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. For this reason, where is your joy, my friends? Exactly like the Apostle Paul asked the Galatians. What happened so quickly to all of your joy? Is your joy, the joy of the Lord, that is your strength, even as we heard from Nehemiah, is that seen in your life today? Is that the life that you're living in the world today? That's what Jesus addresses here and what he seals to our minds yet again by the power of his Spirit. So let's give our full attention then to the reading and preaching of God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Hear now the Word of God. Then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your, disi uh, your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you give us this gospel. This gospel that is a free gift in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved other than the name of Jesus. So we pray, Father, as we hear his words this morning, the parable that he taught that you would seal it to our hearts and our minds. We would behold beautiful things from this portion of your holy law today, and it would fill us with great joy, great joy that we might live out today and every day. Do that for his sake, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Well, I avoided a Statler and Wardolf, uh, Wardolf moment this past week. I, someone told me on my way out, you'll remember from our sermon last week, if you were here, 
the, the, uh, the two uh, Muppets that sit up in the balcony and they heckle individuals down. Someone gave me their name on the way out this last Sunday since I had referenced it. So I spent Monday morning doing a little bit of YouTubes and watching a little bit of these uh, two clowns sitting up in the balcony and listening to some, Hey! Hey! Is that a new toupee you got on your head or did your cat die this week? Ho, 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 ho! And then they just laugh, laugh, laugh. And they heckle back and forth with everyone down below. Well, I avoided, I avoided uh, one of those situations this week. This past week was Mission McKinney. By the way, let me just pause very quickly and say to all of the young people that participated in that, some 25 young people from our church, 6th, 7th, 8th grades, 5th, 6th grade uh, young people, that were out in our community helping uh, agencies by serving them in the church, working, serving the church. The, every trash can in this building was out in the front being scrubbed with a brush and soap and water. And, and the tables that you're going to be eating off of here in just a moment, you could eat right off the table if you wanted to because they scrubbed all of those. They did a wonderful job. But they were back and forth into the building. Okay, here I am on Tuesday. Tuesday's my study day. That's when it needs to be deathly quiet so that I can concentrate because my concentration is easily broken with the personality that I have. But in come, you know, in come 25 of these kids and they're running up the hall and down the hall and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, hey, hold it down out there. I'm trying to study here. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm reading this particular passage and I'm hearing Jesus say, why are you mourning? What happened to your joy? You should be filled with joy because of the gospel. And I'm thinking, I can't stand up and walk out there and say, hey, stop running up and down the hallway. Quit doing this, quit doing that. And then I thought of Statler and Waldorf. And I thought, that's you. You're being, you're being those two hecklers. But I avoided it. I didn't do it at all. I just said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's wonderful, there's wonderful excitement about a building being filled with noise. That's the sound of a healthy church. So no running in the halls today. But, but that last week, it was great. It was absolutely great. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is addressing here. He's, he's addressing the, that Muppet mentality in our minds, religious people, the minds of religious people like, like you and me who want to take a few things and add them to the old life that we once lived and think that we're okay and that we can heckle from the balcony of do this and don't do that. The theme that, uh, that is driving this, these, uh, this particular parable that really is broken down in two aspects, the, the, the aspect of that which shrinks in the patches and, and that which swells in the wineskin, the, the, the issue really is fasting. The disciples come and they're asking Jesus questions about fasting. But Jesus never focused, Jesus dealt with political tension, he dealt with racial tension, he dealt with moral tension, but those things never were Jesus' focus. Jesus moved on beyond those things to the gospel, to point their attention to the gospel that the answer is always found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while they come asking questions about fasting, Jesus says, you want to talk about that, but I'm going to show you your whole life. You're trying to add something that, that makes you proud of yourself, and you even find a little bit of joy in, but I want to show you that your whole life is filled with this 
heckling and addition to man-made rules of adding to things so that you could elevate yourself and you can feel good about yourself. Jesus says, instead, I'm going to drive you to the gospel. I'm going to drive you to the very fact that it's not about you, that it's all about me, Jesus is saying, all about me and what I have come to do for you. Last week we looked at that first parable that we are called to be the salt of the earth. We're to live salt lives, we said. Friends, the beginning of the salt life that we live in our world today is seen in the, in the abundance of joy that ought to fill our hearts, our minds, in the way we live over and over again when we preach the gospel of grace, this good news, and then we, we mope around with these long faces, absent from the, the understanding, the fullness of knowing that all of my sins have been forgiven by the finished work of Christ. He has borne them in his body. He fills me now with the power of his spirit. And I already have all of that favor from God. All of that is mine. Jesus said from the cross to Telestai, it is finished. And so the beginning of the salt life that we are called to live is to live lives filled with joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So before Jesus got, gets to the, the parable, uh, we have the context. And the context really gives us a picture of individual people that come to him. Now, while the, look, at, look at how four, verse 14 begins. It's John's disciples. Matthew is very clear to show us who's coming. It's John's disciples who come and ask the question about fasting. It's not the Pharisees who come and ask. These individuals were probably fasting right now because their leader, John the Baptizer, was in prison. And very shortly after the reading of this particular parable, he would be beheaded. And so they were probably fasting at that given time because their leader was in prison and they were fasting that he would be released. I don't think they come tricking, trying to trick Jesus like many of the Pharisees had done in the past that we read. They tried to trick Jesus with this question or that question. I think they were really seeking to, uh, to understand. This is a bad time, Jesus, a bad time because uh, John the Baptizer, our, our leader, is, is in prison and we need to be fasting and we're fasting. But notice what they also say. Also say. Uh, we're fasting and the Pharisees are fasting. I think this is exactly what has happened. They, they listened to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those that were the teacher of the law. They were the ones who stood in prominent places and they proclaimed the word of God. And, and, and in doing so, they began to proclaim what it was that the people were supposed to do. And so John's disciples now are sitting under the instruction of the Pharisees. In Leviticus 16, we read about the account of the first day of atonement. And it's, it's told to us there that this was the only time when the Israelites were commanded to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. But in Luke chapter 18, we read that the Pharisee and the publican stands up and says, Lord, thank you that you didn't make me like, like this loser over here. Because I give a tenth of everything that I get and I fast what? Two times per week. He had added, the Pharisees had added this man-made badge of honor, this man-made rule to the very thing that God had given. The blessing that God had given had now become a burden on the people. 
because they were expecting that people would listen and follow what they did. And so John's disciples come and they say, why are you not fasting? We have heard from the Pharisees that we should be fasting two times a week if we're going to be holy. And now John is in, the, in prison, so we really ought to be fasting. Why aren't you fasting? Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus responds by connecting the bride and the bridegroom for this very reason, because there was a, a, a rabbinical order that was stated that Weddings uh, during that day were week-long events. They weren't like ours that were just a, a service and then a short reception. These things went on for a week at a time. And the, the rabbinical order was that if, if, if you got married in the time of a fast, then you were exempt from fasting because the celebration of marriage was a, a joyous thing. And Jesus connecting that is saying, why would you ever mourn in a wedding? When your bridegroom is here, why would you mourn? There's, there's plenty of time for that after I'm gone. But you are, you're living this life of, of mourning and of sorrow by adding all of these things to your life that, that you think are going to give you some kind of great joy that give you no joy at all. They fasted two times a week. They told everybody else that they should do the very same thing. Because they were adding man-made religions to the religion. They were sitting in the balcony saying, Hey, stop that. Start doing it like this. Stop doing it like that. Religious people. Presbyterians, maybe. But there's another person in the story, isn't there? And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is a controversial guy. You know, John Stott wrote a book. Christ the controversialist. And he talks through that book about, about how he, he disrupted, he did not come to keep the status quo of religious order in his day. He came to churn it. He came to stir it up to say, you're, you're looking in all the wrong spots because you're looking at everything that will do something for you instead of looking at me, the very one who came to do a work for you. The context of our parable even, look back in chapter 9, verse 3. The context comes with two things that they were complaining about. The first is that he was, he was forgiving sin. Take heart, your, your sins are forgiven, he said. And then some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, Who is this guy? This is blasphemy. Who does he think that he is that he can come and forgive sin? The second one, then in verse 11 of chapter 9... Uh, he, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, and they say, why are you doing that? You're supposed to be a teacher of the law. Why are you going into the homes of people that are obviously different from us, that are sinners? Do you see what they're doing? They're elevating themselves by saying, I don't need you to forgive my sin, and I certainly am not going to go into the home of somebody who's not like a religious person like me. But Jesus did. Jesus enjoyed the party, the first miracle that he did. He turned the water into wine at the wedding, Cana in Galilee. Jesus was a controversial individual. They're thinking about how is it that this guy says that he can forgive sin? And how is it that this guy goes into the homes of sinners not like us and eats with them? And Jesus says, using this, his response there, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when the, when, the, when the groom is with them? You are concentrating on yourself. You're fo focusing only on yourself. 
But you need to be focusing on the fact that I have come to do something for you that you can never, ever do yourself. Really, in a very literal way, here's what Jesus is saying. I came to forgive your sin. I came to eat at your table because there are lots of people who are not worthy to do it because you think yourself so holier than thou. I came to forgive your sin. I came to eat at your sinful table. I came to do a work for you that you could never do for yourself and fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that leads us then into the parable. The parable that begins with this patching, sewing of patches on an unshrunk cloth. Think about it now. Here's what Jesus is saying. And, and this is reality. I mean, this isn't rocket science like we said last week. You got a little tear in your trousers. What do you do? You want to patch it, but you use a bigger piece of patch than the tear. That makes sense, right? It's got to fit over the whole tear either if you're going to put it on the inside or the outside. So you got one little bitty tear, and now you got a patch that's bigger than the tear so that it will cover the whole thing. And then you stitch all the way around it, right? And it covers up the tear. But if you put a piece of fabric on there that has never been washed and shrunk, you know what happens when you wash it? You throw it in the washing machine and then the dryer, and it dries, it shrinks, and then it pulls away. And so no longer do you simply have this little bitty tear, but you've got all of this rip all the way around that was as big as the patch. It is worse now, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The patch will pull away from the garment, and it will make the tear worse. But what is Jesus' point? His point is this. You're trying to take these things in the world that are new, and you're trying to live in the same old garment, your old sinful self, and you're just wanting to patch a few of these new things onto your life here and there, and think that you are an all-new garment. And all you're doing is adding the new to the old, and it will never work that way. Jesus said, I, I came to, for this very reason, to make you new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. The new is come. But what we try to do, even in our religious life, is we try to keep hold of the old and sew on a few things here and there that look good. But look what I do here. Look what I do there. Look what I do outside of this. Look what I do when I do that. And we try to sew the, the new on to the old. Spurgeon put it this way. He's got a wonderful devotion called Morning and Evening. I recommend it to you if you don't have a copy today. You can download it for free. Morning and Evening, it takes the day, every day of the calendar year, and gives a devotion for you to read in the morning and a devotion to read in the evening. On May the 23rd, uh, Spurgeon wrote about uh, Psalm 138.8, which says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. That's what the psalmist said. Here's what Spurgeon said about that. The psalmist was wise. He rested upon nothing short of the Lord's work. It is the Lord who has begun the good work within us. It is he who has carried it on. And if he does not finish it, it will never be complete. If there be, listen to this, if there be one stitch in the celestial garment of our righteousness which we are to insert ourselves, then we are absolutely lost but this is our confidence. The Lord who began will perfect. He has done it all, must do it all, will do it all. Our confidence must not be in what we have done, nor in what we are resolved to do, but entirely what the Lord already has done. 
You cannot add one stitch to that patch that will result in anything good for you, beloved. I don't care if you fast two days a week. I don't care if you attend church 52 Sundays out of the year. Hey, stop that. Start doing it like this. We're simply sewing on patches, clinging to that old way, our way, our man-made way, instead of resting in the fullness of what has already been done for us. You see what we try to do, friends, is mesh the two together. We try to hold on to the old and then add a little bit of the new instead of saying the old is gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ because of what Jesus has done. When we try to do this, meshing the two together, we rob in two ways. Number one, we rob God, the glory that is due, the finished work that he has accomplished in the life of his begotten son, only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory that is due Jesus for coming and dying for our sin by taking our sin in his body. We rob him of the glory when we try to mesh the old and the new together. And secondly, we rob ourselves of living in the fullness of the joy that the gospel alone can give. Do you get that? It's not rocket science. Your sins have been completely forgiven in Jesus. Why do we get on this performance treadmill thinking that we can make him love us more when he is saying, I already love you this much, so much that I would spread my hands and have them pierced with nails on the cross to die for your sin. He moves to the second one then. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. I've made wine before. It's, it's a fun thing to do. It tasted nasty, but it was a fun thing to do. When you add yeast to the must, to your juice, it begins to, about two or three days later, it gets this frothy, foamy stuff on the top. It'll blow, if you seal the top, it will blow the top off of, the, uh, of your five-gallon jug. You've got to have this little anti-siphon thing that releases the pressure because it expands. Yeast added to grape juice will expand in the fermentation process. Now, in the context of that particular day, they tried to take sheep and they would skin those sheep as whole as they could to create themselves wineskins because, because the, the skin of sheep had this natural elasticity and this natural strength. And they could add in their juice and their yeast and it would expand in the fermentation process. But once the wineskin was used, it was stretched and when the wine was dumped out, it dried out and it became brittle and hard. And if you tried to put new wine in that old wineskin that was already brittle and hard and already expanded, it would burst and it would ruin everything running out on the ground. What's the point? Jesus is saying, I'm here to give you the good wine. I'm here to give you the streams of living water that will boil up within you and I want to put that in you by the power of the Spirit, and yet you want me to put it into an old wineskin that is dried, brittle, crusty. Hey, stop that! It will not work. To do so, Jesus says, is to rob him of the joy that is due him. 
when he looks down and sees all of his elect receiving this free gift in the gospel of grace and living it out. And it robs us of living in that joy when we say, okay, go ahead, I want that new wine, but I want you to put it in this crusty old wineskin. It will not work. We try to mesh the two together. And Jesus is saying in both of those accounts, he's saying this, you cannot stitch the new to the old and you cannot fill the old with the new. But the good news of the gospel, which is exactly what Jesus' point is, he has already done it. Listen, friends, the message of the world in which we live is this. If there is a God, then he is a loving God. He won't punish people. He only loves people. And if I want to receive some of his love, then all I need to do is just love other people. You're, you're hearing it in this political process, are you not? All we need to do, the gospel for the world is just go out there and be good to one another. Be kind to one another. Live, live in harmony with one another. And then we'll please that great big deity in the sky and he will do the same for us. If that is the gospel, then why in the world did Jesus Christ go to the cross? Jesus would never need to go to the cross just to make you happy and be, and be kind to one another. There was no need for Jesus to come if he was coming just to say, hey, come on, can't we just all get along and love one another? The only reason that Jesus needed to come was to take you, a sinner, dead in your sin and transgression, and make you alive again. That is the divine justice that's satisfied in the finished work of Christ. Jesus didn't need to come just to make you good. He needed to come to make you alive. That's the gospel that we live in. That's the gospel that is ours. The message of the world is no gospel at all. Now, our responding by loving one another, the golden rule, absolutely, but only in the response to the joy that is already ours, that's blowing up within us, that's filling us, overflowing within us. The gospel alive and well. And it ought to be seen in your life. It ought to be seen in your life. And you ought to experience, you ought to cling to it, friends. Even in those times when life stinks, when our marriage is in conflict, when our children are wayward, when I'm apart from a job and I keep looking and the answer is no, no, no. And when all of the struggles, the diagnosis from the doctor, I am not discounting the fact that all of those are terrible, hard things, but they cannot take away your hope of the resurrection if you have been given the gift of Jesus. Even in the, in the worst of your times, the best of times, it's the worst of times. Dickens was right at the beginning, the best of times in. You have the gospel alive and well and boiling up within you. And that alone is what will carry you all the way to eternity. That's the gospel. All right, friends, did you know that we had a Pokemon behind the sign out in the front yard this last week? Pokemon Go, you've been hearing it, haven't you? We had a Pokemon behind the sign. I have never seen so many cars coming into our parking lot. They were, park, they were pulling up in the circle, parking in the handicapped spot, and they're out like this. 
Yeah, and then they're standing behind the sign. They get right behind the sign and they capture that little critter or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just know that it's a big craze and that people are driving all over the, the city, all over the world or all over our United States catching these Pokemons. You see them chasing them everywhere. We had one right behind the sign and you would not believe the number of people that came in and out of our parking lot this last week chasing this Pokemon to the point that an officer training on Monday night, I had my blinds open and I was telling the guys, oh yeah, there's a Pokemon behind the sign and all day long we've been seeing these cars and oh, there's one and now we're going to teach, oh, and there's another and, oh, and, uh, and there's another until one of the guys finally reached back and closed the blinds <laughs> and tired of you interrupting by showing us that here comes another person to catch a, another Pokemon. I've never seen so many people in and out of this parking lot chasing a Pokemon. Now here's my point. Here's the hard question. What is the greater attraction for those people that have never donned this parking lot before? The Pokemon behind the sign? Or the experience of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who love the Lord, who are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, giving thanks and praise to their great God for the gospel that is theirs, and they can't help but talk about it, and the attraction is the eternal gift of life. What's greater, the eternal attraction in our gospel or Pokemon hiding behind the sign? The way we live will give an answer to that question. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this sweet, sweet gospel that is ours in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your only begotten Son to die for us, to do a work for us that we could never, ever do ourselves. And yet, Lord, we continue to try. We continue to try to sow the new on with the old or fill the old with the new. Forgive us for that, Lord. And may our eyes just once again today be fixed on the fullness of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and what is ours already if we have received the gift that he gives. If we're here and he is ours and we are his, he and us, us and him, that union with Christ, if that is our testimony today, Father, then fill us with joy for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do it for the sake of your own glory in the sake of our experiencing more of that joy in our life that we live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.